Welcome to this podcast from Christchurch London. For more information and resources, please go to ChristchurchLondon.org. Well, it's so nice to be back with you all. Um, Thanks for having me. Are you okay? Great. Turn to the person next to you and say, your breath smells great this morning. Go, go, go. I am, uh, I'm just so grateful for this church, for your witness. Uh, wonderful to hear about this vision to build family in the middle of such a lonely city. Your vision to center everything in the presence of God where it all begins and ends. Uh, wonderful to hear about these uh, baptisms taking place, people coming to know Jesus. Uh, grateful that uh, this is a church that is rooted in relationship and friendship. Uh, I first met uh, Dave and Philippa Stroud more than 30 years ago. Uh, I know you can believe it of Dave, but not of me, right. And uh, when uh, in Hong Kong, where we were working with Jackie Pullinger, and Dave Stroud was flirting outrageously with this chick called Philippa, <laughs> named Baroness Stroud. And uh, uh, the rest is history. It's why we're here now, really. So um, thank goodness for that. And it was in May 2015 that I was with you last uh, on this stage. And I was a bit nervous because God, I, I felt I'd given me a word for you. And I, I definitely don't have a 100% hit rate in these things. And uh, the word was, I just sensed that you were coming to this season of massive transition. It was going to be a gear change moment uh, marked uh, by a gear change relationally and spiritually, geographically, financially, in every which way. And like all good gear changes, it was going to enable you to go further, faster, with less effort. And so I, I shared this, and, uh, and then Dave explained, well, let me tell you what we're thinking about. And so here we are now, a couple of years later, and one congregation has become four, almost five, I gather, one about to start, uh, all over London. I was telling my taxi driver this morning, all the different places I'm speaking today, and, you know, the knowledge was kicking in. He's going, well, you want to go left there and up there, and you know, all that stuff. Uh, he actually got married in St. John on Bethnal Green, so he got all dewy-eyed about that. And it's wonderful to see the way God is blessing you and uh, working uh, amongst you. I want to speak today, as it's the first Sunday of Advent, about hope, about how we wait well, how we wait with expectancy. Advent, from the Latin Adventist, to come is, is the uh, season in which we don't just wait for Jesus to be born at Christmas, 22 days from now, but we also wait and hope for the return of Christ at the end of uh, the age. I have a um, friend who's the vicar of St. Mark's Battersea Rise, and they had a carpenter come in to fix a big wooden door, and his name is Chris. And the facility manager sent a, an email to Paul one day about this guy, Chris, and unfortunately it was a typo, and literally the email said this, Bad news, Christ the carpenter is not coming back. <laughs> We're going to have to find someone else. 
And, um, well, the good news is Christ the carpenter is coming back, and we don't have to find uh, someone else. Let's uh, turn to Luke chapter 2, and we're going to read verses 25 to 38. This is the glorious story of Anna and Simeon. Luke 2, 25 to 38. Now there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon who was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel. Perhaps you today are waiting for the consolation of the nation. Uh, I don't know if you noticed, our nation needs consolation. The Holy Spirit was on him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. Moved by the Spirit, you've been doing this series on the Acts of the Spirit. Notice, uh, this is way before the book of Acts kicks in. The Holy Spirit is on this man. The Holy Spirit is speaking to him and even leading him. This is a sort of word of knowledge moment, I suppose, or a divine encounter going on. Uh, Led by the Spirit. He went into the temple courts, and when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him what the custom of the law required, Simeon took him in his arms and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace. I can die happy, is what he's saying. For my eyes have seen your salvation which you have prepared in the light of all nations, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. The child's father and mother marveled at what was said about him. I bet they did. This baby can't even wipe its own bottom yet. And this strange man is holding him up and saying, I can die happy. Uh, this, is going to be, this child is going to be the consolation of all Israel. Then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, This child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be spoken against, so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed, and a sword will pierce your own soul too. There was also a prophet, Anna, the daughter of Penuel of the tribe of Asher, and she was very old. She had lived with her husband seven years after her marriage and then was a widow until she was 84. She never left the temple, but worshipped night and day, 24-7, fasting and praying. And coming up to them at that very moment, she gave thanks to God, and she spoke about the child to all who were looking forward to the redemption of Jerusalem. Wow, what an encounter. This takes place 40 days after Jesus is born. That's when you would ritually go and dedicate the child. Baptism happens later, age 30, when one's able to make a decision. Dedication is what happens as a baby. And so he's being dedicated. And you may think, well, why on earth are we talking about something happens 40 days after the birth of Jesus when we right now are 22 days before Christmas. And the reason for that is that Anna and Simeon are really archetypes of Advent. They are heroes of hope. They are, I suppose, like the patron saints of persevering prayer. That's what these people teach us. Now, Rembrandt painted this story twice. Uh, Once, let's take the first one. At the start of his life, he's 25 years old. Uh, The year is 1631. 
And uh, you can see the, 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 the temple courts towering there, uh, the classic Rembrandt, light and dark. There's crowds of people uh, disappearing into the background there. It's, it's a sort of royal birth. This is very much focusing on light to the Gentiles and, uh, you, you know, uh, the consolation of Israel. This is the hopes, the aspirations of a young man. Rembrandt painted this scene again, interestingly, 38 years later when he was actually about to die. And look, look at how he depicts this same story uh, as a very old man. No longer the crowds, we've just got three people and one of them we can hardly see. It's no longer this great civic grand hope. It is deeply intimate. In fact, if you uh, look at a, a self-portrait of Rembrandt, it's almost exactly his own face. So Rembrandt is making himself Simeon. And here we have an old, frail man facing his own death meditating, notice the prayerful position of the hands, meditating upon the hope of new life in the birth of this baby. I wonder which Rembrandt you are today at the start of this Advent season. Are your hopes great and grand and big? Are you burdened for the nation? Are you longing for the consolation of Israel? I know I am. I, I used to think, look, I, I've got a plan here, and if we could just do it my way, I think we could crack this thing. But increasingly as I read, you know, Donald Trump's latest tweets and read the newspapers and hear about the latest crisis and the complexities around Brexit and so on and so forth, as I deal with the pastoral crises of local church leadership, I increasingly find myself praying the very earliest prayer of the church, Maranatha, which means come quickly, Lord Jesus. Or in contemporary culture, beam me up, Scotty. You know, help, come, Jesus. That is the cry of Advent. Come, Jesus. We need the consolation of the nations. We need you to return. Or maybe your hopes, this Advent, are a little bit more like the second Rembrandt. Less grand and civic, less to do with a royal birth, and more to do with the deep humanity of personal need. You feel frail. You are yearning for new life, for a little bit of hope to break in, a little bit more of God's presence in your life. So let's earth this. How can we live with a little more hope this Advent uh, season. And I want to draw some lessons from the life of Anna and Simeon. The first thing we see with these two great old saints is that they had nurtured hope down decades through lives of prayer. Lives of prayer. We read of Anna. She never left the temple but worshipped night and day, fasting and praying. Wow. Perhaps you know older ladies like that. Just utter intercessors, living for the presence of God. And the thing that I find so remarkable about this is Anna's narrative. We all know that her story had not been easy. 
she had every reason to be a very hopeless, cynical, bitter old lady. Married just seven years, widowed incredibly early, no children, no husband, no money, no social provision, no particular medical care, and she's 84 in a culture where many people didn't live past 50. What hope has this woman got? What hope has she got in the rearview mirror, let alone in the future? Her predicament is desolate. And yet, she is erupting with hope. And we can only conclude that she has disciplined herself. She has wired her neural pathways over the decades to meditate upon the promises of God, to, as it were, not hope for the future, but hope from the future into the present, to be someone who is longing and interceding and praying for God's kingdom to come. And as we push into the presence of God in prayer, not just once in a while, but in a rigorous and a disciplined way, we become people of hope in spite of the hopelessness of our world. As Andy Tilsley reminded us last week, I listened online, it's a brilliant talk. You know, it, 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 we are being shaped continually by the culture, shaped continually by, by messages from the media and from those around us. And so we, we have to marinate ourselves in the truth of God and the Word of God through Scripture and prayer, or our thinking will not be true. We will be puppets of our own hormones or our own culture. As someone once said, he who marries the spirit of the age will be widowed in the next. And so Anna has pushed into the presence of God in a remarkable way in prayer. Some of you will know some of uh, my story. Uh, after planting a, a second church, I became deeply spiritually hungry. Um, St. Augustine once said, Thou hast put salt on our lips that we might thirst for thee. I had a lot of salt on my lips. And I, 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 I began to realize that whilst, you know, we had lots of programs going and lots of models um, lots of good stuff happening as a church. We were growing. Um, I just felt spiritually shallow. I realized I could get to the end of my life and never really have cracked this thing of hearing God for myself. I was sick and tired of hearing other people's stories of what God had done in other places in the world and other places, other times in history. And there's something in me just like, God, if you can't do it here and you can't do it now and you can't do it with a plonker like me, please don't, you know, don't keep like torturing me with these stories. I just became hungry. And, and I realized that the, the hub of all of that longing was prayer. The prayer is where it all begins and ends. As, 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 as you're um, uh, dreaming here to be a community radically centered on the presence of God. Not just a community like some club or society. Not just people trying to make a difference like second-rate social workers. But people who distinctively host the presence of God in our own lives, our own streets, our own families, and in uh, our church for the sake of the city. And so uh, we began to pray, and um, God just showed up in our night and day prayer room. 
in a warehouse on the south coast of England. And miracles began to happen, amazing things, angelic visitations. And a little child was healed of leukemia, and, and atheists came and said they could feel God's presence and all kinds of cool stuff. And, uh, and then God sneezed, and the thing went viral and began to spread. And we're now in over half the nations on earth, and we work with everyone from um, Justin Welby and the Catholics at the most senior levels right through to the Salvation Army. And uh, we've been praying nonstop since 1999. And it's been a wild ride, but we weren't trying to launch a movement. We weren't trying to get into the Guinness Book of Records. We were just trying to learn to pray because we realized that is the key to everything. That is the lesson of Anna's great uh, life uh, there. One of the marks of people who are... Um, have given themselves to prayer is often a, a sort of translucence. And we see this in Anna. We see, it, we, see, we see it in all sorts of people, people who have suffered much and prayed much. Um, I remember on our wedding day, uh, it absolutely poured with rain, which wasn't what Sammy had dreamt of since she was a little girl. You know, it was just absolutely bucketing down. And uh, not good for the photos. And, and this... Uh, godly old lady, uh, Pearl, came bounding up to me. She said, isn't it wonderful about the rain? <laughs> I said, no, Pearl, it's not. <laughs> she said, oh, haven't you heard? I said, haven't I heard what? <laughs> she said, oh, you don't know. I said, no. She said, in the Bible it says that rain is a sign of God's blessing and he's made it absolutely bucket down for you. Hallelujah. <laughs> It drives me crazy. <laughs> you understand? Anna was like that. Just, just years of pushing in again and again to the promises of God, the love of God, the truth of God, the faithfulness of God, allowing that to be the primary thing that shaped the way she viewed the world. Her eyes had been washed clear with tears. Her thinking was razor sharp. Her heart was only a beat away from rejoicing at any given moment because she had centered her reality by meditating on the goodness of God beyond all other things. And she could have easily spent her life meditating on the tragedy of her own narrative. She had chosen not to. She had pushed into prayer. Uh, I have a friend called James who uh, became a, a follower of Jesus in his uh, early 20s through Alpha and has gone on to become extremely successful. He runs many businesses. And he came up to me one day and said, Pete, would you, would you and your family like to come on holiday with us? And he's the kind of guy, when he says that, you don't check your diary, you just go, oh, yes, I'm free. <laughs> and so he, he rented out a, a, um, a catamaran on the Aegean Ocean. And he said, look, you have one hull and we'll have the other. We'll meet in the middle. And um, we sailed around and every night we'd drop anchor and, you know, one particular night we're sitting there, we, we're in this beautiful lagoon. The sun is setting, it's mill pond still. The kids have been swimming. They've got out. They've got little fluffy towels around them. And we've got drinks and, and, and dinner ready. It's just perfect. And at this exact moment, this swarm of mosquitoes rose up. Some of you are so jaded, you're thinking, good. <laughs> you guys have got issues, I tell you. I tell you. And the moment these mosquitoes come, James breaks into prayer. And this is his prayer. Oh, God, would you, we just ask you to take away the mosquitoes? 
You rebuke. And I'm sitting there thinking, this is a stupid prayer. Right? I, tell you, I tell you there's two reasons this is a stupid prayer. The first reason is because God's busy. Like with the Middle East, North Korea, Donald Trump. Like he's got a lot on his plate. It's probably too much to worry about the alfresco dining arrangements of posh people in the Aegean on yachts, right? <laughs> Who's with me here? Just give me a wave. You're like, yeah, okay. The other reason I think it's a stupid prayer is um, that when, not if God doesn't answer the prayer, my children who are listening to the prayer will conclude the prayer doesn't work, their dad has wasted his life and will grow up and become Satanists. So... And, 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 and so this is what's going on in my head. And, but everyone else is there, eyes shut. Yeah, we just rebuke the spirit of mosquitoness in Jesus' name. You know? The Holy Spirit's going, what is that? What is that? Is, is that a thing? Jesus is going, I don't know. I don't know. Maybe it is. Maybe it's a thing. Is there a spirit of mosquitoness? Satan, no, you're not allowed to talk to it. You know, it's all that going on. And, and, and as this is happening, and I'm thinking it's a stupid prayer, the most annoying thing happens. I'm still angry about it to this day. A gentle breeze blows up and removes the mosquitoes. I'm so cross about it. I want. I wanted. Like, I mean, I've written books on why God doesn't answer those kind of prayers. You know, and and I don't know if it was a miracle or just a meteorological phenomenon masquerading as one. But this I do know: when you pray about the details in life, you live with greater gratitude. If you only ever pray about big things, you will only be occasionally grateful. But when you learn to walk and talk with God day by day, as Adam and Eve did in the cool of the evening, when you learn to meditate the way Anna meditates in the temple on the truth of Scripture, when you learn to make your entire life a living conversation with God, you live with greater gratitude. You see more miracles. You inhabit Advent as it is designed to be. And so people say to me, you know, the great theological uh, question of our time, should we pray for parking spaces? <laughs> One or two of you literally sort of sat up and started to take notes at this point in the talk. <laughs> God help us. <laughs> the, an- the answer is, cl- is clearly yes, because... Um, if you pray about parking spaces, then you're, you become the kind of psychotic person who is able to give thanks to God for a square yard of concrete outside Tesco's on a wet Saturday morning. Who here wants to be that person? Yeah? You drive the atheist mad. Thank you, Jesus! A parking space! Hallelujah! You know. They'll be like, what's going on? Then they follow you into Tesco's, and as you're going in, you're going, oh, give us this day, our daily bread. Rows of bread. Thank you, Jesus. You know. <laughs> Learn to pray about the inevitable things. Then you'll really live with a lot of gratitude. And so we're called to walk and talk with God as 24-7 prayer rooms, practicing the presence of God continually. Understanding that God does more in disguise than he does in front of our faces. God doesn't wear hobnail boots. He mostly tiptoes. God doesn't speak through a microphone. He mostly whispers. 
And so as we push into prayer, in spite of the despair, in spite of the hopelessness, we see the truth and the goodness of God in the midst of the mess of most of our lives. And Anna models this beautifully. Sometimes we have to persevere in prayer, of course. Jesus explicitly told stories to say, you must keep praying and not give up. Um, it, it, I often think it's like stacking dominoes. Uh, the, 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 you, you pray the same prayer. I think we've got an image of dominoes, just in case you don't know what dominoes look like. Because some of you are thinking pizza right now. It's an issue you've got. There you go. This is, this is dominoes. Can I have a round of applause for my PowerPoint, please? I, I was very anxious not to miss the picture of dominoes. And... Um, you know, you pray uh, the same prayer you've prayed a thousand times before, and then one day you pray it, and the breakthrough comes. And it's not because you finally found the right technique or the right model. It's simply because you didn't give up praying one prayer too soon. And there are all sorts of reasons for another talk about why we have to persevere in prayer. But Anna had persevered for about 60 years, and then she holds a baby. Simeon has waited. He's had this word from God since presumably he was a young man and now he holds the baby, the breakthrough has come. Uh, and, and, you know, uh, the, we're so sort of formulaic and unrelational with God. We're so transactional in the way we view prayer that, you know, we, we think it's like a Coke machine. You put in your money, you get your can out. But actually, this is a relationship with, with a God who is bigger and cleverer than us in a world that is be, bewildering beyond measure, a life that is mystery. And, and so we journey with God. And the danger is that you pray into something again and again. And one day as you're standing on your left leg eating blancmange, the breakthrough comes and you conclude. It's because I was on my left leg eating blancmange, right? So you write, but you find a, a Bible verse that backs this up. It's normally in the message and, um, <laughs> or the Greek. And, um, uh, 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 and then you, you, this great revelation, you write a book, the book becomes a bestseller because we're all so exhausted and terrified by life. We're all looking for the easy answer, and it's as simple as your left leg and blamange. Who would have known? And so you do the book tour, and you do end up with a conference, an entire uh, ministry. And before you know it, you've launched a denomination. And within 200 years, people are gathering every Sunday to stand on their left leg eating blamange. We are here today on our left legs, eating blamange, you know? And the, and the Holy Spirit says to the Father, why, why do they do that? And, and the Father says, Jesus, do you know? And Jesus says, the Holy Spirit's full. Uh, I was trying to answer a prayer a couple of hundred years ago at a moment when someone was doing absolutely nothing of any consequence, but I was just busy with Donald Trump. And they were on their left leg eating blancmange. Now we've got a new denomination. You know, guys, it's not about a technique. It's about a relationship. It's about walking and talking each day, rewiring those neural pathways, soaking in the truth of Scripture, persevering in prayer. And one day the miracle happens, and it probably will not look like what you thought it would look like. You're dreaming of the consolation of Israel, and you hold a child that is inarticulate, incontinent, and you say, this is the breakthrough, now I can die happy. As Gerard Manley Hopkins said, infinity dwindled to infancy, the mystery of the incarnation, Emmanuel God with us. I believe there's a call upon this church because of your positioning, 
your mandate for this great city to be a house of prayer for this city. Not just to congregate within it, but to be priests for it. You are called to be people of prayer like Anna and Simeon in the temple, alert to the arrival of the Lord, interceding God's purposes and God's promises into reality. You know, wherever you are, whatever your family is like today, whatever street you live in, whatever your workplace is like, whatever the prospect of Christmas is for you, you are a priest commissioned into that place, commissioned to pray God's purposes in to that situation and to lift the heart cries of that situation to the Almighty God. You are a priest commissioned to pray in that place. You're not there randomly. This isn't just your thing to survive. You have been sent there. Who else is going to pray for that colleague, that friend, by name, but you, if you're the only Christian there? But please notice that Simeon and Anna didn't just pray out of desperation, but out of expectation, because God had spoken to them. And so they didn't just nurture hope through lives of prayer, but they very deliberately pursued God's promise. They were people who were... uh, deeply shaped by the Word of God. That is what helped them to endure through these decades of waiting. Verse 26, it had been revealed to Simeon by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. Verse 29, he prays, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace. It was the promise of God That fueled Simeon's prayers. It is vital if we are going to be people of prayer and we are going to persevere in prayer that our prayers are shaped by the promises of God broadly but also personally for our lives and our families and our situations. I was really challenged about this um, a couple of years ago now. The Lord just showed me that, you know, I was praying such vague prayers for a number of, for all sorts of situations, but even for my own kids. My prayers were kind of, would you just really bless them at school today, you know? <laughs> and the father's saying to the son, what does he actually want me to do? And the son's going, not quite clear, blessing. Everyone wants me to bless. What is it, what do you actually, what's he, I mean, what, is it just sort of a glowing thing? Do you want glowing, a, a glow, yeah, what, what is, what, what, what do you want me to do for you, says Jesus to Bartimaeus, right? And, and so, I realized I need to go and get the promise of God for my kids. Why did God make them? The scriptures say they were knit together in their mother's womb. The scriptures say there are good works prepared in advance for my kids to do. There's a purpose and a calling upon their lives. What is that? And so I took a day out to seek God for his word for my own kids. I said, why did you make them? What's your dream for their lives? What are the things that you want for their lives and that therefore Satan will try and contest in their lives that I need to pray in? And God gave me a set of promises from Scripture for my kids that if you all said, no, you got it wrong, I would still know God had given them to me. And so you guys, some of you need to do it. It may not be for your kids. It may be for a relative who doesn't know the Lord. It may be for your workplace. What is God's word for your context? What is his purpose in putting you into that place? 
one of the scriptures God gave me for my kids was this. It says of Jesus, he grew in wisdom, stature, and favor with God and man. And I thought, that's a good word. I believe that's for my kids. So I began to pray specifically, not just would you bless my kids at school today, but would they grow in wisdom at school today? I mean, just academically, but also true spiritual wisdom. Would they grow in stature today? Like with their teachers, with their peers, but also when they grow in spiritual stature before heaven, because it's before God and man and so on. I began to probably pray much more specifically because I had a, a scripture that I knew was from the Lord that was his purpose for them to hang my prayers and my faith on. And the most amazing thing happened. It was only a couple of weeks, it might have been less than that, after beginning to pray like this. Wisdom, stature, favor in heaven and on earth for my kids. That um, one of our sons, uh, we'd put him to bed, and he suddenly yelled for us. It was 9.30 at night. We thought he'd puked up, uh, you know, or, or been ill or something. So we, Sammy and I ran upstairs, and he was sitting bolt upright in bed. And he said, I want to pray that prayer thing. And we said, what do you mean? I want, to, I want to become a Christian. I want to give my life to God. It was a Monday night, so it wasn't like, you know, he'd been off at church and been told he had to do this. And it was an urgency about him. So I had the incredible privilege of kneeling by my 11-year-old's bed with him as he gave his life to Jesus, growing wisdom, stature, and favor with God. Now, you may say it's just a coincidence that it was, I just started to pray like that. But let me tell you how the story ends. (laughs) The next day, my sister-in-law, who's not even going to church at the moment, she has come to know Jesus, but she's not going to church. She phoned me up. She said, what happened with, and she named this particular son last night. I said, why? You know, I didn't, didn't tell her. I said, what, why? Why do you ask? She said, it's weird. I had a dream about him last night. I said, okay, tell me more. She said, this is the dream. She lives like 40 miles away from us. She said, in the dream, there was a stranger in your house. I think it was an angel. And the stranger was in your study and invited you and Sammy, that's my wife, into the study and said, this son, named the son, has been, here's the words, noticed in heaven. And I've been sent to give you instructions on how to raise him. Just wave your hand if you've got kids who who think that would be fairly helpful. (laughs) Isn't that incredible? Less than a couple of weeks after starting to pray that he would be noticed in heaven, he sits up, gives his life to the Lord, and someone 40 miles away, he doesn't even go to church, has a dream in which an angel comes and tells us he's been noticed in heaven. See, there's such power when we pray, not just out of reaction, not just out of our own emotion, but out of the purposes and the word of God, and we pull it in. See, the kingdom of God doesn't come, God, God, the kingdom of God doesn't come automatically. That's why Jesus says you've got to pray. Let your kingdom come. Let your will be done. Our hope in the Advent season, amidst all the hype of Christmas, is rooted in the purposes and the promises of God. So what are the promises of God for your life, for your workplace, for your family? Take time to listen. Get the Bible open. Maybe pray with a friend. Ask the Lord. Romans 15 verse 4. 
The Apostle Paul says it is through the endurance taught in the Scriptures and the encouragement that they provide that we have hope. You want to know where to get hope from at Advent? It is through the endurance taught in the Scriptures and the encouragement that they provide. When um, when, uh, our other son was just hitting 13, uh, I took him on a little rite of passage. We went and did the three peaks together. And we said to him, like, take something that represents your childhood and, you know, bury it at the end. And we'll say goodbye to childhood and enter manhood together. And so we went, we climbed the three highest peaks, you know, in England, Scotland, and Wales. And uh, it was quite hard. I mean, it was very difficult. Especially we finished on Ben Nevis, uh, which is the highest. And it was hard and the weather was bad, you know. And we were aching and exhausted. And he's only 13. And... and the thing is, we had decided we'd finish in Scotland because we wanted to get the sleeper train from Inverness back down to London. It's just the coolest thing. You get on this train, it's like something out of the last century, you know, and you, and you, you have a meal together as, as the mountains go past, and you tumble into a bed uh, as the train moves, and you wake up in London like conquering heroes. And, and we talked as we walked, climbed the three peaks. We talked again and again about this scenario. Why don't it be great to get on the sleeper train at Inverness, you know? Uh, what are you going to have? You can have anything you want when we get into the, in, into the restaurant. What are you going to order to eat? Think what those sheets are going to feel like. Imagine what it would be like when we get off the train in London and mom is there to meet us and, like, the whole city is cheering our great achievement. You know, we talked. It shot energy into our tired muscles as we climbed. And all the while, I had the tickets to that train zipped up in my waterproof back pocket. And do you know what? There were times I patted it as I climbed because they were the promise that I was going to get into that sleeper carriage and I couldn't wait. It gave me endurance. It gave me encouragement. The Word of God gives us encouragement. It helps us to endure. It helps us to lay hold of the promise of that which is to come for which we long that is not yet amidst the rigors and the trials of our daily experience. This is the message of Advent. We do not hope so much, however, for the future, but from the future into the present from expectations that are rooted in the purposes and the promises of God. To be a people of faith is to consider the future more certain than the present. The present is transient. The future in Christ is secure. The battle has been won. Jesus has come and Jesus is coming again. Jesus isn't just the Lord to come. He is the Lord now. He is in charge. The future is secure. As Tolkien says in Return of the King, in the end, the shadow was only a small passing thing. There was a light and high beauty forever beyond its reach. This is how our lives can be defined by hope this Advent. It's how we can be shaped, not by where we have been, but by where we are going. Not by who we once were, but by who we are becoming. 
not by the problems of our present circumstance, but by the promises of Scripture and the startling reality of all that is to come this Christmas. I think we're just going to respond now. I might pray for one or two people. I'd love to pray thinking about Rembrandt. I wonder which Rembrandt you are at the start of this season. Great dreams, great longings, great desperation, a calling to intercede, a a calling to pray big prayers. Or maybe you're like the other Rembrandt, feeling weary and hopeless, desperate. And there's this invitation to trust what you can't understand. Romans 15 verse 13 says this, May the God of hope fill you with peace and joy as you trust in him, so that you may overflow with hope through the power of the Holy Spirit. We trust in him through his word, his promises. We trust in him and so we pray. But we don't just clench our buttocks and try and work up hope when everything seems hopeless. We receive hope through the power of the Holy Spirit. Let's stand together, shall we? It'd be great just to get the band back. I don't know if you could just play something new agey on the the keyboards. Something that will manipulate emotion as much as possible would be great. I find most things from the Lynx um, commercials in the 1980s would be perfect, but whatever you... Oh, yeah, that's good. Oh, yeah. The Holy Spirit's there going, I feel so used. (laughs) We literally just had a little bit... Oh, that's nice. Yes. Oh, yeah. (laughs) This is dreadful, isn't it? So, in all seriousness, let's just take a moment now to start of Advent. Busy, 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 crazy season. What does hope look like? What are you hoping for? If I sat with each one of you, looked you in the eye, said, really, what are you hoping for? What is the longing? Which Rembrandt are you? Is it a great hope for nations? Is it deeply personal? Would you just name, would you just name that hope or that hopelessness before the Lord now? I feel like this is too much on the drums. Do you feel like it's too much on the drums? Okay, just name. <laughs> You're loved by Jesus, but. And now, can I just invite you to hold your hands out, if you'd like to do so, and, as it were, offer the Lord the areas of hope and hopelessness, areas of longing. And we're just going to simply invite the power of the Holy Spirit to come. And to fill you with hope. Notice, it's 
hope overflowing. It's not just, he doesn't want to just give you enough hope to limp through to Christmas. He wants to so fill you with hope that you become a hope dispenser to a hopeless world. That people spend time with you say, I don't know what it is, I just feel more able to cope. I feel more alive. I feel better about life because I was with that Christian. And so let's, let's just open ourselves now to the Holy Spirit. Not just for enough for the day, but that he would so fill us with hope that we would overflow. That hope would come out of our mouths, the way we listen, the way we look, like Anna and Simeon. We'd be able to hold even tiny, messy babies and see the very purpose of God. And so may the God of hope, the God who is hope, fill you with peace and with joy as you trust in him. So that you may overflow with hope today in your family tomorrow in your workplace and throughout this city that you may overflow with hope through the power of the Holy Spirit within you come Spirit of God thank you for listening For more information or for further podcasts and downloads, please visit ChristChurchLondon.org.